You're listening to devpath.fm, the podcast about career development for software engineers. Join the conversation at www.devpath.fm or on Twitter at devpathfm. Hey everybody, I'm here with Molly Struvy, who's a site reliability engineer. Uh, Molly is, got, she's built kind of a, a following over the last little while, and I've come to, to follow her on Twitter and, and learn a bit more about her, but I wanted to interview her and kind of get a picture of her career. So Molly, do you want to say hello and kind of talk about what you do? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Jacob, for having me. Uh, I'm really excited uh, to kind of, you know, share kind of my story. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a site reliability engineer at a company called Kenna Security. We help Fortune 500 companies manage their cybersecurity risk. So my job is I get to handle all of the data that comes into our platform and ensure that it is secure, easily accessible, and that all of our infrastructure can really handle the, uh, the amount of scale that we need to handle all these, these giant companies' data. Uh, what part of that job do you think is the most enjoyable or attractive to you as an engineer? For me, my favorite part is making optimizations in the code that lead to major speedups in terms of performance. So I love going through the code or going through logs, which for a lot of people sounds kind of like grungy, like, oh, who wants to be in the <laughs> logs? But honestly, just looking at logs, I have found some of just the simplest changes. Like there's just like one line and you just change the line or you remove the line completely and you can eliminate like millions of database hits and boom, your performance goes to the roof. So mm -hmm. finding those and hunting those out is, is probably my favorite part of the job. And then when you make the tweak or you make the change, it's not like you're rolling out a single feature for like one client you're basically making a performance improvement that's going to affect everybody. So it's, it's really rewarding to be able to kind of have that, that impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think most engineers really, at least in my experience, really enjoy the knowledge that what they make and what they work on is going to be used or going to impact a lot of people just because it, it feels meaningful and people like to see their work being used. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Cool. So I, I kind of want to start out with, uh, asking how you really got into technology. What was what was kind of your first experience with technology and why did you feel drawn to it as a career? So for me, it all started back when I was younger. So I was always kind of math and science focused in school and growing up. And that's kind of how my brain worked. And because of that, my dad, who is an electrical engineer, pushed me to take a computer science class in high school. And so I took it and I, I loved it. And at that point, though, I still, you know, it wasn't one of those, you know, some people kind of pick up coding and they're like, they just take it and like run with it and they're writing programs, you know, before they're even out of high school. I enjoyed it, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't obsessed with it. And so I ended up going to college. When I went to college, I actually studied aerospace engineering. So I went in and I was enrolled in a computer science class. And while, you know, during the first couple of weeks, I'm taking this computer science class and my neighbor is taking the introduction to aerospace class. And every single day after class, he comes running over and he's like, guess what we get to do? We could build, build a parachute. We get to build a rocket. And so I literally thought, 
well, that sounds much cooler than writing code <laughs> at that point. And so I literally switched into the intro to aerospace class at that point and then got the aerospace degree, which was so much fun and I totally enjoyed. And luckily, engineering degrees are kind of, you know, they, they kind of they all teach you the same problem solving skills. So mm-hmm. once I got out and decided that I did want to go into software engineering, it was a pretty easy transition. I was able to teach myself the stuff I needed to know to do web development. And, you know, the rest was was pretty much history after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did you graduate college and go into the aviation field? And then, you know, if so how did you end up writing software for a living? Yeah, great question. So I actually graduated college once again, took another right turn, went into options trading. So I actually hmm. traded options for two years. Um, and at the time I was working for a small company and it was it was an older company. So I was the youngest mm-hmm. person there by like 20 years. And, you know, being fresh out of college that, you know, you kind of you want to be around younger people, you want to be doing stuff. And this this company is very set in their ways. And you know, it worked for them. But for me, it was just not exciting. And so at that point, it was probably about 2012. And I'm sitting there and I'm seeing all these stories coming out of, you know, Silicon Valley about companies changing the face of the internet and, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff was happening. Mm -hmm. And I basically said, you know what, that sounds a lot cooler than what I'm doing betting on the stock market. And so I, I literally quit my job, which I, I, I wrote a blog post on it and I look back and I, I do not know how I had the guts to do that, but mm-hmm. I did. And for three months, I taught myself web development using the Michael Hartle tutorial mm-hmm. and literally just walked through the tutorial, built the app that it teaches you to build. And at the end of those three months, I kind of felt a little, you know, at that point, I had just basically been working by myself. And so I decided, okay, let's like try to go out and and be a part of a team. And so I applied to this small, tiny coupon startup in Chicago, and uh, they were looking for a full-time engineer, but I Mm -hmm. emailed them and basically said, hey, I'm not a full-time, but I would love to intern for you and maybe we could end in a full-time position. And Anyways, long story short, they said yes. And that was my first job. I was an intern for six months, then I got hired full time. And that's how I got into software. Did your background as like an aviation engineer play into how you learned to, to write code? Because I, I would think there would be some of that lower level, level development in, in the aviation field. Yeah, there definitely was. So in high school and then in college, I wrote Java. And so I, you know, I had a basic understanding of code and coding principles. Picking up web development was kind of basically just like you taking code and then you're adding views to it in a sense. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, once I kind of learned the frameworks and the structure, it was followed all the same principles. So it was, it was pretty, I won't, I don't want to say easy, but it was, it was definitely, I was able to pick it up on my own. So as someone who, you know, you can be described as, as, a, as a career switcher. So as someone who kind of went through that experience, did you struggle with imposter syndrome or did you feel really comfortable moving into the development field? Oh, God, no. <laughs> I definitely, <laughs> definitely struggled with uh, imposter syndrome. I think, I think it's, I don't know if I've met, I, I can't say I've met anyone who hasn't. Even people who are really good, when you're starting out, 
you you always deal with that feeling like you are you doing enough you know do you know enough etc and even if you're really good even now i deal with it i i am really good at, at ruby i'm really good with certain databases but when someone throws something at me that i've never worked with before like a new framework mm-hmm. a new technology i mean instantly i can go right back to being like deer in the headlights. Oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. It's going to take me two hours of sitting on Google to figure this out. And, and that's just kind of like the cycle. And I think that's something in tech you have to learn to get a little bit comfortable with because there's so much new stuff constantly coming out that one, there's no way you can learn it all. And two, you're going to be constantly learning new things and getting pushed outside your comfort zone. So I think when people, you know, when people talk to me about imposter syndrome, I always say that, you know, you want to learn to not have it hinder you, but you also kind of want to embrace it a little bit, learn to, to work mm-hmm. with it, because it's, in my opinion, it's kind of just a, a fact of, of life when you're working in the tech industry. Do you kind of use that as a guide for what you should be learning or what you should invest in? Do you, do you feel like you invest in those weaknesses or do you kind of double down on your strengths? I tend to double down on my strengths, I would say more. I think, you know, kind of along those lines of there's so much tech out there, I think Mm -hmm. it can be really easy to get lost and just grabbing new things when they come out. And what I have found and what really led to me transitioning from being just a general software engineer to an SRE was that early on when I was just, just doing pure back end software development for Kenna, I took ownership of Elasticsearch and Mm -hmm. I decided to learn everything I could about Elasticsearch, all the ins and outs. I went to trainings, the whole shebang. And because I got such in-depth knowledge and I became so proficient in Elasticsearch, that's what led to one, me being promoted to the senior role and then eventually led to me becoming a site reliability engineer. So I think you need to be very cognizant that you are building strengths in certain areas and you're not just, you know, grabbing at all the the new things that come by because then, yes, you might just know top level across the board of a lot of things. But I find when you're working, you, you know, you really want to have some proficient and really in-depth knowledge on at least some technology. And I think that really will help propel your career, you know, to the next level. Mm-hmm. So do you think there's a specific way that you kind of dive deep on a technology that makes you good at, at specializing like that? I think it's just making use of all the resources that I have. So like I said, for Elasticsearch, one, it was just learning how we implemented it, not not being afraid to just get in there and and get dirty. And you're going to make mistakes. I made tons of mistakes early on when I was you know, working with our Elasticsearch cluster and just you got to learn from those. And then also taking advantage of whatever resources are, you know, available to you. So like I said, I have been to three Elasticsearch trainings. Basically, I go every time they release a new version because one, it just helps me stay up to date on everything. And two, I can learn, you know, all the ins and outs of, of the new software coming out. So I think just making use of, of trainings and, and resources is is a great way to, to really dive further into stuff. And then obviously, if you have people around you that are experts, oh, my God, just mm-hmm. totally, you know, soak up all the knowledge they can give you because that's that's one of the best resources. 
So one thing I kind of sort of changing gears, but I want to ask you about the kind of you, you've made an investment uh, recently kind of in in building a little bit of a network and and trying to build a following on Twitter and writing articles on Dev.2 and stuff. Um, has that been valuable for you? And do you have any advice for people that want to do that? Yeah, I so this is all pretty recent for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've been on Twitter for I don't even know how many years, but I honestly hadn't touched my account or or tweeted anything until <laughs> last year. So last year, what kind of got started is I submitted a talk to RubyConf, which I had mm-hmm. no expectations of getting accepted because, I mean, who was I at that point? Like, <laughs> And it got accepted. And so that was like, whoa. And they suggest, you know, if you get accepted to a conference, they say, tweet, you know, make sure you you kind of publicize it so people will come. And so basically, I started tweeting at that point. And then mm-hmm. I so enjoyed the experience of speaking and connecting with people that that is what then drove me to dev.2 into blogging. So I then decided like, okay, let's take this talk that I just gave and I'll turn it into a blog so it can reach more people. And the rest after that is basically history. I've just so enjoyed reaching out and connecting with people in the community and it's teaching and sharing knowledge is something I enjoy and I do a lot at work, but having the ability to use social media, blogs, podcasts, talks, it basically allows you to teach people on a much larger scale. And that Mm -hmm. is something that I really enjoyed when I gave my first conference talk was, wow, I have all this knowledge. And like, if I spend, you know, 40 hours making a talk, I can share this with, you know, basically limitless amount of people because the talks ends up being recorded. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's something I've, I really enjoyed as a benefit. Personally, it's, I find it fulfilling. And also I've, you know, made a lot of really awesome connections in the tech world, connections that I've reached out to in times where I'm debugging or I have a problem. I'll be like, oh, you know, I know this person, they're really proficient with XYZ gem or hey, this Mm -hmm. person actually wrote this gem. (laughs) I should go and and talk to them if I'm having this issue. So the networking has definitely been, you know, beneficial on a personal level and on a professional level. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious what led you to submit that talk to to RubyConf and 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 what was the experience of writing it like? Yeah. I so basically the talk was spurred by all the work I had done my first year as an SRE. So our SRE team had formed uh probably about nine months prior to me submitting the talk. And when we first formed our main goal was to get our platform in a state where it could scale because at that point we were having some scaling issues and so we did all of this work to to get it so that it could scale and a lot of the work as i kind of mentioned and alluded to before was was pretty simple things it was you know avoiding hitting the database when we didn't need to and so mm-hmm. i kind of took a step back and i had all these great examples that had to do with ruby and thought okay like maybe we'll, you know, maybe I'll submit this as a talk. And honestly, when I submitted it, I kind of had this idea like, oh, talks are supposed to be like innovative. They're supposed to have like really <laughs> big ideas. And this was just super basic local caching stuff. So I, mm-hmm. and that's why I said I submitted it and 
really did not think anything of it. And then when it got accepted, it was like, oh, wow. Okay. So I, I wrote the talk and still at that point, I was like, oh, this is so basic. Like, I just, I don't know if people are going to care in a sense. And mm-hmm. I got up and I gave it and the reception was just, you know, overwhelmingly positive. And I even, I gave it at a meetup prior to the conference and the meetup reception was also positive. So that kind of gave me some confidence going into the conference. But after that, I, I kind of, it dawned on me that, you know, people aren't out there looking for like these crazy new innovative ideas when it comes to tech mm-hmm. talks, you know, usually they're just looking for common experiences. They're looking for something that they can grab onto and they can take back and apply to their own work. And I think that's something my talk, because because it was simple, because it, it, it didn't have anything fancy, a lot of people were able to relate to it and able to take it back and actually like apply the concepts I talked about. So that's mm-hmm. kind of something I always tell people when they're like, I have no talk ideas. Like there's nothing, I don't have anything exciting. Like just talk about your experiences. Like that's, <laughs> that's what people connect with. That's also a really cool strategy. Kind of writing, writing a talk to submit to a larger conference and then giving that same talk at a meetup before the conference to give yourself sort of a dry run. That's a really good idea. Yeah, it's it's definitely, it's something I've talked to a couple of people who have asked me like, hey, what advice do you have for new speakers? And that's that's something I always recommend is, give it, uh, you know, at a meetup and or internally. And I, I give that advice because that is literally the advice I was given by another elite engineer that I had worked with at the time who had given a time mm-hmm. box. And so he told me to do that. And I was so thankful he did because then when you get to the conference, it's, it's kind of ironed out at that point. So mm-hmm. definitely, a, it's definitely good for practice. You know, your title is is uh, lead site reliability engineer. Yep. Are you are you a individual contributor, or do you kind of manage a few other engineers right now? So I I'm both, which is mm-hmm. kind of you know something that I'm learning to balance. But I have two other engineers on my team that I lead. But because the team's still relatively small, and mm-hmm. you know those two engineers are luckily they're they're very self sufficient. Um, I can still be a heavy technical contributor while also kind of leading this small team. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but even, you know, even two people, when I took on the lead role, I kind of thought, oh, two people, like the whatever, this is going to be like a piece of cake. Like it's me plus two people. Boom. That's like three times as much work. This is going to be fantastic. (laughs) Well, it's, it's not, it doesn't quite work like that. So I've kind of had to learn like, okay, you know, you've got two people you're working with. You got to learn how to, best, you know, get how to support them and, you know, get them to do their best work. And they're both uh, very junior. And so I spend a lot of time now teaching them and sharing my knowledge. And it's it's less about just me, you know, cranking out as much code as possible. So mm-hmm. it's it's been a shift and I'm still kind of getting used to it. But like I said, because I, I enjoy that teaching and that that knowledge sharing and stuff, it's it's been a lot of fun and, and I've really enjoyed it. And I think it's, it's really, I think going to help me, you know, kind of just grow as a person and, and professionally to kind of learn how to, to lead and, and not only get the best out of myself, but get the best out of others. On that note, do you have advice for individual contributors who are moving into that leadership role is the best way to put it, but, uh, like not not necessarily management, but they're going from individual contributor to someone who works with a team. Yeah. 
So honestly, I just, I am like not in the position to like give advice yet. I am still in very much, <laughs> oh my God, soak it all in. So I guess the best thing I could say is look for people that you look up to. There's a couple of people that are actually full managers um, at our company and I they are very successful at what they do. And I make sure every few weeks, like I have one-on-ones with them and I really, I ask them questions. I say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Like, how do you handle this? Uh, use your resource around you. Use those people who have gone before you. Ask them questions. Just kind of learn everything you can. Read blog posts. Um, I I know that it's, I'm very new at it. And so I'm just trying to kind of soak in all the advice I can. Uh, mm-hmm. So that would, you know, that's kind of one piece of advice. And then the other piece of advice, which I think is, is super critical, especially when you're working with, you know, juniors and younger engineers, it can be kind of really easy to, to forget what it was like to be, you know, at mm-hmm. the start of your career to kind of be a little bit deer in the headlights where everything can be overwhelming. And I think you got to try to kind of keep that in mind. And one of the ways to do that is, is, you know, if you're constantly looking at new technology or you're constantly pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, that's always kind of a good reminder when you're working with younger engineers, like, okay, you know, these, these people might not be as, as confident as you are. So you kind of, you know, I kind of want to say like you, you want to handle them with care in a sense. So, and really Mm -hmm. work a lot on, on supporting them and giving them way more positive feedback than you think is, is necessary. Because from what I've, you know, I, I have heard and gotten feedback is, People usually think they're they're doing worse than they are. People are usually mm-hmm. underestimate how well they're doing, and so if you're constantly like, "No, you know this, you're doing great. Like this is fantastic. This is exactly what I expect. Like you're awesome." Um, <laughs> that that goes so far, so far in helping build people's confidence, and especially when they're younger engineers. I mean, mm-hmm. confidence is just building that is is half the battle. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the engineers, they're all plenty capable of, of doing the job. It's getting them to believe and know that they can do the job. That's that's half the battle yeah. right there. Yeah, I, I, I noticed something in there, and I kind of want to ask you if you've got a strategy for dealing with it. But uh, I heard this talk, um, I think, earlier this year. It may have been last year. Uh, and the speaker went over the le- like what he called the levels of competence. And uh, somewhere pretty far up there in the levels of competence is this idea of un- unconscious competence, where you're you're so good at something that you do it without thinking about it. And a lot of examples for most adults might be like riding a bike or driving a car. Um, you don't think about it nearly as much as you did when you started. So as, a, as an engineer, you can get there really easily by practicing something for a few years. And you'll get to where you don't really think about the struggles you had when you first started or the things that that you had to learn. And when you go into kind of that leadership management role or just mentorship role, you have to think around that unconscious competence to get back to thinking about the state of kind of all the things you had to keep in your head while you were learning. Um, Do you have a strategy for like putting yourself in that mindset when you talk to someone who's junior? I think honestly, it just, it kind of happens organically when you, when you have to break stuff down and you have to explain it, that forces you to take the, that unconscious knowledge and, and, you know, be conscious that you have it. I also mm-hmm. think that that transition from taking 
what you know, but you, you know, you're not even quite aware that, you know, and actually teaching it to someone else. I think that is also huge in making you aware that you're capable of it. I I find that Mm -hmm. teaching, um, one of the kind of one of the biggest transitions for me in my career and me realizing like, oh, hey, I'm pretty good at this was when I went from just doing tech to actually teaching it to other people. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until that point when I kind of took a step back and realized like, oh, wow, I do have a lot of knowledge. But it was I mean, I I just took the knowledge for granted because I would just sit down, I'd write the code. And, and it wasn't until I was explaining that code to others that I realized that what I was doing was not, it wasn't, it wasn't just, not everyone knew that. Not everyone knew what I was doing. Not everyone understood the concepts that I understood. And so um, just teaching it itself really helps bring that unconscious knowledge, you know, to the, to the forefront of your, your mind and your realization. Yeah. I I remember having this uh, kind of epiphany at one point when I was explaining something to a person who had no development uh, knowledge at all and I kind of realized how impossible it was for them to relate because I I I just had this epiphany where I was like this person doesn't know what a string is this person doesn't know like how that works and that's something that I I the word boolean means very little or nothing to them and it's like things that for the last however many years have just been I just I don't think about that um and having that realization is really interesting and, and makes you it does make you, it's part of the reason why teaching makes you really know what you're talking about because you have to go back and define a lot of those ideas that you've taken for granted. It, exactly. I, I did it yesterday. I had, I literally yesterday had a high school student come in who had never, you know, touched code really and just, just wanted to know what I did. And I'm sitting there trying to explain to her, you know, what elastic search is. And I've got, you know, the visualization of the servers up on my screen and it's, it was like a totally different ball game because you gotta, you gotta make metaphors and kind of draw on things that they know about and, and then apply it. You know, you can't just say, Oh, this is a a flat structure database because that (laughs) they're like, well, what does that mean? So it -hmm. it was definitely, it was very interesting. It kind of, it, it it kind of raised my, uh, my layman's game of, of explaining stuff. (laughs) So I kind of have a a generic question that I I ask pretty frequently. Um, Can you think of any like, traits or habits or just things about you that you can distill down um, that make you really good at what you do? This is actually something that I did a lot of work uh, to figure out um, this past year. So last year, I got an email from a colleague and basically they asked me to mentor another engineer who was in DC mm-hmm. and they had you know just started their career and were struggling and when I got that email, I was like, whoa, I don't I don't know if I have anything to offer because, you know, I've, I've taught people just black and white programming, but I'd never dealt with like mentoring, which is another like another level on top of just like, oh, here's how you code. It's it's more emotional. It's more support. And mm-hmm. at that point, I thought, oh, my God, I you know, this is not an industry I've ever struggled in. Like, how how do I relate to someone who is struggling? So what I did at that point was I literally went to all of the people that I had worked with over the past like five years and mm-hmm. I kind of interviewed them. I said, Hey, <laughs> what about me makes, you know, what do you think has made me successful? Why do you think 
many people struggle in the tech world and I haven't. And one of the big things it boiled down to was confidence. Um, a lot of people kind of said, I have this, you know, no BS attitude that basically I'm going to get what I want. And if people stand in my way, I'm just going to bowl them over while I do it. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I can thank, thank my parents for, for giving me that attitude because they were very much, you can do whatever you want, never stop. And so that's, that's something that I think has really helped power my career. And I, I'm also someone I, I never settle. And this is something mm -hmm. I try to tell juniors, especially when you're out and you're looking for jobs. I, I kind of got lucky in a sense that I ended up at a very good supportive startup when I started. But I think some juniors go out there and they kind of sell themselves short of what they deserve and need. And I think that can be really detrimental when you're starting out because you don't if you don't take into you know account like your needs, like you need someone that's going to teach you. You need to be working with like you deserve to work with good, nice people. Um, so I always try to tell you know juniors like make sure when you're walking to interview, you're you're interviewing the company as much as they're interviewing you. And I think I kind of have that attitude of like, okay, this is what I deserve, and I'm going to make sure that I I kind of get that for myself because I know I need it. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite quotes, which comes from Jessie Franzel, who I follow on Twitter, and she's she's kind of like my spirit animal. Um, <laughs> but I think it really resonated with with me, you know, being a kind of a woman in tech was have the patience to prove people wrong your entire career. And that kind of mm -hmm. resonated with me because I had never really had a lot of barriers. But I think even when those barriers kind of pop up, I, in a sense, I just ignore them. And I'm like, oh, you want, you want me to be the underdog? You want me to prove you wrong? Okay, sign me up. Um, and so I, I, you know, I think you, you do have to have like a little bit of a thick, thick skin in that sense. And you just, you know, the, the confidence with the just not settling for anything less and, and getting what you deserve. Uh, the, I think those are two big things that have helped me succeed and, and can help others succeed in, in the tech world. Mm -hmm. Have you had any experiences where you had to balance that personality trait of confidence with um, humility? Because that's something that I've I've struggled with, or at least people have kind of told me that I struggle with uh, feeling like I I am really confident, which can come across as arrogance, and that can be frustrating for people. So, have you dealt with that? Yeah. So I actually, and that's you know that was one of you know I was like a couple years ago. Um, because I know a lot about Elasticsearch, a lot of times, you know, and I'm also, I'm just kind of a black and white person. So if someone's like asking me something, I'm just going to straight up explain it to them. And actually mm -hmm. kind of a few years ago, I got, I got feedback from, you know, our, our VP at the time, like, Hey, just so you know, like, you know, some people, you know, have said that you, you might be a little, you know, terse, you might be a little short, uh, you know, just be aware of that. And that was kind of, eye-opening and that that really led to me kind of having more empathy for when people mm -hmm. don't know something because me just walking up and just like laying it down to me I I didn't see anything wrong with that but that kind of very blunt um, approach you know some people can kind of be turned off or it can be um, intimidating to them and so mm -hmm. I've, I've learned to try to soften my approach and I think that is what 
you know, being on Twitter and being blogging and stuff and seeing all the different perspectives and all the different experiences in tech has, that's really opened up my eyes to, to empathy and really being able to kind of like, I guess, tailor some of that, that confidence and that like, oh, I'm just going to tell you how it is uh, back <laughs> a little bit and be like, okay, maybe mm-hmm. just like ask what they need. Like, you know, so that's, you know, that's something I've kind of learned and, and had to grow with. And it's, it's definitely, you know, I'm glad I have that problem that I have to tailor it back the other way as opposed to having not enough confidence. So <laughs> mm-hmm. it's definitely something that can be difficult um, as someone with a lot of confidence, not trying not to come across as arrogant. Yeah. But it's also, I think, uh, been a lot more beneficial to be really confident than to be someone who struggles with that confidence. Because I, I've said, you know, several times in, in blog posts and whatever else that this industry really favors and gives advantages to extroverts which is ironic yeah. considering uh that it's something that you traditionally associate with an introvert and it's kind of the same thing as you know any other form of i guess it's not really discrimination but maybe it's like exclusionary how for example like at conferences and stuff um i've i've helped to organize a few conferences um, and, and all the ones I've been a part of have tried to not do this and tried to make it very difficult for the, the people reviewing talks to do this. But there is some truth to like, if this person has a large following, this person is well known for, for being very outspoken. I, I use an example. This is, is Avdi Grimm. He's in the Ruby world, very outspoken, and he's known for it. And he's built a big following based on being outspoken. So if you're not someone who goes up and says things definitively, it's kind of hard to go in front of a tech conference and say, well, this is what's right. And you're all going to listen to me. And and when I had Avdi on this podcast, we talked about his identity as a human helps him do that. He has like a radio DJ voice and he's a white male yeah. and he like he completely fits in. So when he starts talking, people listen. And if you're not that person, and especially if you struggle with confidence, it's, it can be really hard to succeed publicly in, in the software industry. Yeah, I would I would 100 uh, percent agree with that. Um, and kind of one of the things that I, I think has helped me relate to people is that, you know, I, I do these podcasts, I do these, these talks and stuff and people see me on Twitter and they, they think I'm just like this outgoing bubbly extrovert when in reality (laughs) I am, I am a total introvert, you know, after, Mm -hmm. after a podcast, after, after doing a conference, like I got to go, Woo, we got to bring it all back in. I got to (laughs) go decompress. I got to be alone. Um, when, when my husband and I first started dating, I remember I needed, I, I told him I, I need, I need a couple hours alone. And he thought that meant like our relationship was over. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like this is, this is just me. I just, I need to be alone with my thoughts and that's just how I am. And, you know, flash forward, you know, 10 years, like he, he gets it now, but mm-hmm. I've been in that position where you're, you know, you're the new person, you, you, you're at a conference and like everyone's at a table and you've got your lunch and you're like, where do I sit? And so because of that, I always try to be, and it's, it's hard for me, but I try to be that, that, that person that's like, Hey, Hey, do you need a place to sit? We got a seat open. Like, um, (laughs) you know, be the person that, that welcomes people. When you, when you got a circle of people, Mm. you always leave a spot open. Like I've been, I've tried to, to do that because it's in literally it's amazing for most people. All it takes is that little invitation and then boom, mm-hmm. you know, they'll sit down and they'll start talking to you. And it's, it's amazing the people you meet that way. But I, I try to be very cognizant of 
my, you know, my position in tech now that, hey, like you're in a position to help pull people up. So like do it. In a sense. Mm-hmm. What has been your experience being someone where you feel like you can facilitate others? Is that something that you've really, have you, have you really fit in that role? Or is it something that you've had to consciously try to get better at? It's definitely something I've consciously kind of had to work with. And it's more, I just have to work with being, you know, comfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. The idea that someone would ask me for advice is, I mean, that kind of goes back to imposter syndrome. You're just (laughs) like, what do I have to offer? Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't even know if that's going to ever go away, but it's, and I can tell you, it's still, people will still reach out to me. And it's, it's only like on an individual basis, they'll, they'll ask me and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I can help. And I'll give them some advice. And even as I'm giving the advice still, it's like, oh, wow, like that's that's a good idea. Like you have good ideas, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I'm not sure if that'll kind of ever go away. I'm sure it'll, it'll just evolve. Mm-hmm. But to be able to give someone and even it's advice where I look at it and, you know, and maybe it's advice my mom gave me all growing up. So I think it's obvious, but I give it to someone else. And they're like, that is, that's brilliant. And they go and they apply it and they come back and they say, let me tell you about how amazing this advice work or now I'm doing this or I got this job. And that, oh my God, that is like the bread and butter right there. Like when you get those responses from people, oh, it just, it makes it all worth it. So it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I asked this question to everybody to kind of compare answers across interviews, but also to humanize the people I interview. Um, I, I would, I would love if you're comfortable for you to share something that you consider yourself to be bad at. Oh, that's a good one. So, I mean, honestly, right now it's, it's the learning to lead the team. Um, Mm -hmm. I very much, you know, up until this point of having a team correlated my value with how much I could output and how much I could code. And having to change that and adjust it to, you know, I now spend time having to ramp others up and I can contribute less. That's, that's been an adjustment for me. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's a struggle. And I've got, um, luckily, like I've said, I've got a couple of people who are really good uh, mentors and, and leaders and they're kind of showing me the way. But I can't tell you how many times I am on Slack and I'm like, oh my God, this is so frustrating. We're not getting any work done. The team's not doing anything. Like this is, this is horrible. And every mm-hmm. time they're like, okay, you need to calm down. <laughs> it's, it is, you know, this is, this is how it is. You're going to move at, at slow pace. And like, that's, that's how these things start. And so that's something for me that I have just, I've been struggling with literally over the past few months. Um, and so I'm hoping to, to kind of get better with it. Uh, in addition to that, you know, and kind of going back to this humanizing thing, uh, one thing that I did early on, um, not early on, but we recently hired a bunch of junior developers. And mm-hmm. I think we hired four. And they're like right out of boot camp. And when they came in, I, you know, they kind of came in and we, we had this one, this big retro through all of engineering and someone said something at retro like, Oh, you know, such and such. Well, you should ask Molly because she never makes a mistake. And that kind of like hit me. I was like, cause I said, wait a second. Like that is, that is so far from true. 
you guys just weren't here when, when I did, when I took down the site so many times. Um, and so what, what I did and what I coordinated, which I would highly recommend this for, for any engineering organization, is I did a lunch with leads. And so I basically took all the lead developers and we sat down, we had lunch with all those brand new juniors. And the premise of the lunch was we would, you know, kind of explain a little bit about what we do. And then everyone had to tell one production outage story. And like, obviously all of us leads, we have, we have more production outage stories than we can count. And so, you know, we ended up telling the, the juniors, like, about all these crazy times when when we when we broke stuff when we made mistakes and then we let them ask us questions and it it really kind of loosened them up and they really kind of you know walked away with this you know feeling of oh like you guys are leads but you're you're still human like we still make mistakes i still deploy code mm-hmm. that sometimes takes down production you know i just mm-hmm. i'm i know how to deal with it now faster than i did before and so that's that's something I, I've really tried to, you know, kind of promote through Twitter that, you know, I hate the culture of if someone fails, like there's, you know, oh my God, someone's going to get fired. And that's something that we, we don't do at kind of our VP from the very beginning has the same fail forward and, and he stands by it. And so when, when stuff happens, when, when the site goes down, it's, it's, we, everyone just takes a step back. We say, okay, what, what can we do better? And then we move forward with it. And I think that's something mm-hmm. that we could do better as, uh, as a, like a tech community is just kind of take that stigma away from like when people make mistakes. So I can tell mm-hmm. you, I, the, the amount of outage stories I had is, is endless. And it's, it's something you got to deal with as a developer. And that's, it's just part of the job. Um, so, so yeah. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully people find that that more humanizing, but highly, highly mm-hmm. recommend a lunch with leads for organizations and just, you know, spill out all those crazy stories. And not to mention it's it's, you know, looking back on them, it's it's always fun to laugh at them. Before we wrap up, I want to give you an opportunity to share anything you're working on or if there is a place on the Internet people can go to learn more about you. Uh, where is that? Um, so like you mentioned I'm on Twitter, Molly underscore Struvy. Uh, I'm also on Dev.2, also Molly underscore Struvy. Molly Struvy, all one world dot com is kind of like my home base website. I got links to like everything there. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. my DMs are open on Twitter. I love hearing from people. I love connecting with people. So I would say reach out anytime, say hi, let me know who you are. And I, I love connecting with people that way. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing your experience and opening up and talking about things that you struggled with. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to devpath.fm. Want to ask a question? Send an email to jacob at devpath.fm.